Hey, everybody. We're really excited to have TJ Nelson here from Las Vegas, Nevada. TJ was born in Utah, traveled all around the world, and is here today to talk about his Lyme journey and what he's done to get better and the book he's written, Walk the Lyme, to help you in your journeys as well. We're also here with Ashley Marba, who's my special guest co-host. Ashley, not only has she been on the podcast, and she was on episode 17, one of the early ones, but she's participated in our 2020, 2021, 2022, and 2023 Lyme hackathons, where she provided specific tips and tricks on your Lyme healing journey. And we encourage you to go to our website, tickbootcamp.com, and look all this up, where it's all on there on our website, where you can learn more about Ashley, and also learn more about TJ on this podcast, and all the show notes and information we're going to put out there for this podcast as well. So TJ, welcome to our podcast. Yeah, good to be here. So TJ, we talked about you growing up in Utah. We really want to get to know you and what your life was like before Lyme when you were a young child in Utah. Can you give us a little background on what that was like? Yeah, no, childhood was good. I was very active, um, played all the sports, um, you know, healthy family, the whole thing. So um, yeah, no, childhood was no issues really, right? Um, and so I was very healthy, very active, and uh, very adventurous soul as a, as a kid. So when you were a kid and out and about and playing around, did you know about ticks? Did you were you ever bitten by a tick that you remember? Did you know about the risks of ticks nope. and Lyme disease, et cetera, et cetera? Nope. I didn't even know about Lyme disease until I got it. So I had no idea what it was. So you weren't even looking for ticks. So you could have been bit and you didn't you wouldn't even know it. Wouldn't have even wouldn't have even known. So were you you're an average sounds like you were an athlete? You were were you were you an average child? Were <laughs> you more tired? Was there anything unique about no. your childhood? Um, my, my family would, uh, describe me as, uh, intense is what they would say. But, um, no, I was very curious. Like, I guess as a kid, uh, like I, I changed the windows programming. So it had a different sound when it booted up when I was like eight or something. Um, I was always skateboarding, snowboarding, playing hockey, every, you know, baseball, all of it. So, um, a lot of energy as a kid. So really smart, really athletic physical fitness, living the life, right? Yep. So what happens when you graduate high school? Where do you go to college and what comes next in life? Yeah, I mean, high school, there was a lot of stressors. <clears throat> um, a little bit, well, actually, I think it was like right as high school starting, but or junior high, but yeah, parents split up and then my brother passed away. So high school, high school um, was a little more of a rougher, depressing time. Um, and then as I graduated high school, since in high school, I got really good grades. I got um, a scholarship, went to University of Utah, uh, bounced around a few different majors and graduated with uh, uh, psychology, but I was basically had to get a 3.7. So I was just studying all the time and working all the time. Didn't do like the traditional college kind of life. And then, um, yeah, just started working. Um, there's some wild stuff after that, but that's, TJ, you know. before we get to the wild stuff, TJ, yeah. when all this happened and it sounds like you were in high school transitioning to college and your parents split your brother passed. And I'm sorry for that, by the way, was there any health impacts or anything going on with your health or was it mostly just things going on with your family that were stressful in your life at the time? No, health was fine. Um, you mean there was like some mental health stuff going on, um, depression and kind of weird stuff like that. But, uh, no, I was, my favorite thing to do was to lift weights. Um, I ran a marathon. Um, so yeah, my body was still, still good. Do you think that you were using exercise as a means to overcome some of the depression and your emotional feelings? So that's a very common theme we've had on this podcast where people will overexercise or overdepend on exercise 
to get relief from psychological distress? Do you think that's something that maybe you were doing and that was mm. weakening your immune system? And I know it's kind of a deep question, but we see this no. as a common thread on this podcast. Um, I don't think it was never extreme. Um, I was never going so hard that it was hurting me. Um, I know it started out with insecurity with how I looked, but then it just became, Hey, I love doing this. So I don't think it was necessarily a bad way to cope. Uh, lifting weights is just amazing. Cause you, in the morning you lift weights, cool. The rest of the day is, is good. Right. And, uh, that's actually the main thing that I'm looking forward to is being able to work out again, lift weights and do all that. So I can get that endorphin rush. Um, but no, it was never, it was never unhealthy. It was, it was just exercise was a way of life. So. So now talk to us about you graduate. I think you said you went to the university of Utah and you mm-hmm. you're majoring in psychology, correct? DJ? Yep. You graduate. Are you going to get grad school or are you going right into the workforce? What's happening then? Um, no, I just started working. Um, I was working at national Alliance for mental illness. I worked at, uh, some, uh, clinical research facility. Um, but then, it, yeah, it hit a certain point where, you know, I was just broke. I was living in low-income housing in Salt Lake City. There was some weird stuff going on in the place I lived. And, uh, yeah, I hit a point where, you know, I didn't want to be poor anymore. I went to the Philippines. I learned all this stuff, started selling cars. And then I bought a one-way ticket to Thailand and uh, lived it up in Thailand and Vietnam for eight months doing uh, online business and trying to do that life. Uh, but then I got bad food poisoning and my gut got wrecked and then I had to come back. So, so that was like went, the start of the health stuff. You went from being a psychology <laughs> major, working in the mental health field, but it wasn't cutting it financially speaking. So you just, you left the country, you went to Thailand, you went to Chile. What kind of online business were you running out there? Um, no. So it's, it's interesting. Actually, you had a, it's still up. It was a website called dominate depression.com. Um, so um, with all that, you know, the high school and the college stuff, um, <clears throat> they tried giving me Paxil and various things and that works for some people. Uh, but it didn't work for me. And I read all these books and it was like, Oh, I'm deficient in vitamin D and magnesium. And I shouldn't eat gluten. And when I stopped doing that, it helped a lot with the symptoms. So I was trying to do like a passion project to give back to people and show them other ways. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't making any money though. So I was, I was helping people, but it wasn't making any money either. Well, I love how you were hacking your health before you even got Lyme disease, because it sounds like you were using diet and supplementation to overcome some of the psychological symptoms you were experiencing in your early 20s. Is that, is that kind of what you're describing here? Yep. So well, for, I guess I really want to ask a personal question. What was it like living in Vietnam and Thailand coming from Utah? I mean, what a, what a shock that must have been, right? Uh, I loved it. Um, Thailand, the people are too nice. It's almost too easy, too relaxed. Um you could get really lost and just uh, just chilling for the rest of your life. Vietnam was just this raw, chaotic, yet friendly, loving place. It was bizarre. Like the first week, I hated it because it was so polluted. And when you walk, you have to walk across the street and there's just a swarm of scooters and you just have to walk right into it and you have to keep the same pace because if you change your pace, you'll get hit because they're just going around you. So it took me a while just to be able to cross the street. Then after a week, I just fell in love with like if I if Vietnam wasn't so far away, I'd visit all the time. Um, like one of my friends was on reality TV, got famous. There's a place they named an omelet after me. Um, so you can order a TJ omelet on Nguyen Thiem and Kai Street in in Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. And uh it was it was wild. It was like, you know, I, I got a haircut for and it cost two dollars and fifty cents. And 
and uh yeah it was it was insane um yeah love I love that. It. yeah Amazing. but yeah the vietnamese people um the culture it was they were all they were still working hard but they still placed family first so it was this interesting vibe of hey being friendly and nice is number one and then work ethic and so you know i'd be walking around and someone hey you want some tea and then we sit down start talking cool see you later and that was just it was just yeah i, I want to go back now and just talking about it well i i don't think it's like that here in the states at least in new york actually is, that, is it like that over in santa barbara california where you are actually i don't know <laughs> well i wish we would embrace some of those cultures like how beautiful and amazing i just i feel like just that alone would help with a lot of depression and loneliness and having a sense of community. And that's like, you know, where you just sit down and you have the time to be friendly. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. And then it was, it was more compact. So like where I lived, everything I needed was within a block. So you just walk out and it's just everything. Boom, 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 boom. Right. So, you know, States, you got to drive everywhere. Most places. Um, but yeah, it was, it was wild. It was, that's the main things I miss is being able to travel and being able to exercise. And once I get those back, that's when I know I'm hundred percent. We're going to get to where you are now. And I, I know you've made significant progress and we're going to talk about all the things you did to get where you are now and what you're still doing and continuing to do. But where were you when you got the food poisoning? Was it Vietnam and Thailand? How, and how long were you you know out of the States when this occurred? So I actually got food poisoning bad in Thailand. And my gut got messed up, so I wasn't digesting food. Then when I went to Vietnam after, we there's this place we called it Prison Pho because it was in some alleyway and it had so much MSG you'd get a headache from it. And then I, I got sick eating there. And uh, at that point, my stomach was so bad I was like, "Oh, I gotta go! I gotta go home!" And so that was the beginning of the hell. So I didn't have Lyme yet, but my gut was compromised, which then means everything else is compromised. So you were, your body was becoming more and more susceptible to get chronically ill from Lyme disease. And you, this is sort of setting the stage for what's to come, unfortunately, sounds like. Yep. So did you stay in, you know, Thailand and then Vietnam, or did you eventually end up back in the States? Talk us through, you know, what's happening next in your life and what you're doing for your career. Cause it sounds like you started this website, but it wasn't doing well. So how are you, how are you surviving and you know, how are you paying, paying the rent, paying the bills and, you know, you know, just living your life out at this time. Yeah. So I went back to San Diego. Um, I couldn't figure it out there. So then I go to Utah, then I run to Columbia and I only lasted 10 days because of the get problem. So then I had to come back. Then my friend in Vegas, which is interesting that I'm back in Vegas, but he hits me up and goes, Hey, you are good at, you're, you're good at sales. You should sell solar door to door in, in Vegas. And I said, sure. So he came, picked me up, drove me down. I slept on a blow up mattress next to him. Uh, started selling solar door to door, uh, Vegas shut down. So after three months I went to Texas and, um, at the time the company I was working for was the largest one. And in a certain ranking, I hit, you know, the top in the country and I hit all these super high highs in that field, but that's where, that's where the Lyme started. A couple of follow up questions. So how long was it yeah. from the time you <clears throat> left Utah and went traveling the world before you landed back in the states what was that that time frame um so i was in thailand vietnam for eight months okay 
And then you came back and you landed yourself in Vegas. And that's where you started doing, you, you were selling solar. And then it, we, the, is that when the, the COVID shutdown occurred? And that's when you went to Texas? Is that what you, you said? No. So this was in 2015. Uh, the utility company in Vegas actually shut down solar. So you couldn't do solar anymore. And oh. so then we had to go to Texas. And so, yeah. And then that, and that's where, yeah, that's where all the sales stuff went down. Um, but yeah, about a year and a half into it, um, then I got I got sick. So before we get there, though, tell us about friends, family, loved ones, etc. So what else is going on? Do you have any any family that you left behind? Are you developing any relationships? And what's that like? You know, managing all these relationships while you're bouncing around the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I moved so much that you know I couldn't really date because <laughs> I'd only be in one place for so long. Um, people kind of. I think we're like, wow, you know, TJ, the wild guy. And then uh, me and me going to sell solar door to door in Vegas. It was just one of those random things that I was doing. Um, so, I mean, they were just people. I had a lot of friends but and family, but people just knew that TJ was going to do what TJ was going to do back then. So, um, yeah, wild, wild man living out of my backpack, just wherever I wanted to be. So Nomad TJ now ends up in texas right and you're killing yep. it you're crushing it you're breaking all kinds of records yeah. you're succeeding and then it sounds like that's when you had this lime encounter so was there a tick bite or did your health just decline what were the, what were the first signs there of yeah. illness so i don't remember any bite um don't ever remember being bit so i think it happened in texas i couldn't say for sure because maybe it was a year or two prior and it was just sitting in my body um so I'm I'm going crazy and hitting all these huge numbers and I'm on top of the world. I'm like, oh, I'm about to, you know, I'm about to be able to cruise and this is the life right here. And then I start feeling weird, like tired, depression. I don't feel right. And back then I just thought it was a mindset thing. So I'm like, oh, maybe I need to change what I'm doing. I'm not happy anymore. I got to do something else or whatever. And so as all this as I'm falling apart, I remember the apartment I was in, in Dallas, I thought it was external. So I had no idea it was an internal thing because I was just pure mindset back then, like push through anything, mindset, mindset, mindset. And so I was like, Oh, my life, I need to change something in my life because something is wrong. And so that's where I like go to Austin and try and do something. And, um, I'm super confused. Um, but then in Austin, one day I wake up and it looks like an alien in the middle of the night, just like scratched me on my stomach. And this weird mark, like I have all the pictures of it. Was it a Bartonella scratch? Was it a cat scratch? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it's like a thick one. The Bartonella has always been my biggest problem, but, uh, and that's where I'm like, that's weird. Um, I didn't think too much of it. Uh, and then Austin's weird. And then I go to San Diego again and I'm in San Diego and someone refers me to this doctor and, uh, I go in there and he scans my knees and looks at my joints. He's like, you have tendonitis. That's not normal. And this and this and this. And I show him the pictures of the rashes. And he goes, wait a minute. Well, how long ago was this? And I go, uh, I don't know. It was like four months ago, five months. And then he goes, all right, boom, runs all these tests. And then they come back, Lyme, Bartonella, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Mycoplasma, EBV, like the whole thing. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, he tried to give me antibiotics, which actually what he tried to give me would have been good, but I was all anti like try and be natural back then. 
So I denied it. And then I was basically in denial for a, a good while. All right. So before we go into the diagnosis and, and all that good stuff, let's talk about why you felt it was external, not internal, as you described it, right? Because you said you had some mental health stuff going on around early college, maybe late high school. You were able to work on that through diet and supplementation. So you were very in tune with what was going on psychologically in your body. Mm-hmm. When this happened again, when you're crushing it and doing really good in your career in Texas, what made you think that it was purely external? Was it the same type of mental health related stuff you were experiencing or was it physical mm-hmm. and you think you're just ignoring the physical at that time? No, it was a totally different flavor. Um, the depression I had before, I mean, yeah, it was bad, but um, I mean, the Lyme depression got to a point I didn't even know it was possible, but it was, it was like a, it was just kind of. And at the time it wasn't as bad because it was still coming down. So it was like, you know, frog and boiling water or whatever. But um, it was, it was like things felt empty and it was like this lack of passion type of thing. So it wasn't this hardcore depression yet. You know, it was just like this emptiness, like no motivation, lack of passion and just does, doesn't feel right. So that's where I was like, Oh, I must've lost the passion for what I'm doing, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't super obvious at first. It was a slow, it wasn't like just a drop off. It was like a slow decline. Were there any physical symptoms while you were still in Texas before you went to San Diego? Or was it mostly psychological, which is why you didn't think anything physical at the time? Uh, mostly psychological. Um, and then there was some weird stuff going on with my energy. Um, so like sometimes I'd have energy, sometimes I wouldn't. And it was this weird flux and, uh, and then I'm like wanting to lay in bed like most of the day and stuff like that. So, um, and I, I think I was just so hard driven as well from everything I did in direct sales, you know, door to door is mentally one of the craziest things ever. And so, uh, I was just so hard in the mindset, push through, um, keep cranking away and you can solve anything mindset. So I think that probably blinded me as well. Cause I had to learn how to let go of that. Cause that made me worse. It, holding onto that made me sick. And the doctor you went to in, I think you said it was San Diego, was it for mental health Is, and that mental health doctor related you? Or was it a physical condition uh, that you went to in San uh, Diego? It was for physical. Okay. Yeah. So what, and were, I, what were the symptoms? Uh, like the fatigue, um, kind of weird aches, you know, I'm getting these marks on my skin. Um, and what's interesting is in Dallas, a doctor ran a line panel on me, um, but it came back negative. So he ran some stuff and it came back negative, but it said EBV. So they just thought I had Epstein-Barr virus. Um, so that's where I just saw this random line and negative, whatever. I don't know what that is, but yeah, it was like kind of like some weird aches. Um, kind of, you'd wake up almost like you, you worked out the day before, but you didn't. And so you wake up and your body's just kind of like stiff and you're like, that's weird. You know, um, it's just weird stuff like that. When it, when it comes to the EBV diagnosis in Texas, you said you, they ran a Lyme test. It came back negative, which we know Lyme testing is horrible. And mm-hmm. the EBV was positive. Generally, like, you know, doctors will say EBV is something that is persistent in your body. Once you have mono, it stays with you the rest of your life. And if you have an active EBV infection, it generally means that you're run down. Your body is compromised because your immune system can manage it if you're healthy enough. So if you have an active EBV infection, 
there there's either there's probably some sort of contributing factor, whether it's physical stress, lack of sleep, uh, lack of sleep, maybe some other bacterial infection allowing it to thrive. Was that discussed when you were in Texas, or was it just hey you got EBV? You know, just oh yeah, EBV. That's it. So no, yeah. no real consideration <clears throat> or thought put into that. And then thankfully you got your. So why did you go to San Diego? Just because you you felt not fulfilled, so you went to San Diego, and then you were making a career change. What got you there again? I just want to make sure we follow the track of of your movement from Texas to San Diego. Yeah. So. Um... I went to Austin because I was going to try and do something else. Uh, then when that failed after two weeks, cause I was so out of it, I was like, man, solar is cool. But then all the stuff at solar city got destroyed because Tesla bought out solar city. So I was like, well, that doesn't really exist anymore. And then I, I knew people in San Diego. So I was like, well, let me try the online business again, which I'm not good at online business. So I was, I was repeating another mistake, but I was like, Oh, I can go to San Diego. I know people out there. I'll try and do the whole online thing again. And that's why I chose San Diego. Um, and then, you know, I was, I was explaining what was happening. And my friend's wife was in San Diego for naturopathic school. And she said, go see this doctor and, and he'll see what's up. And you said you were very natural minded. So you didn't want to take any kind of Western medicine at the time. What led you to have those beliefs? Because it's most yeah. of the time, like myself, I was very much Western. I was like, give me anything from the pharmacy and it'll just cure me, right? I had no idea what natural medicine was. So that's rare for this podcast as well. Can you give us some insight into why you had those those values at the time? Uh, it was because before when I had the depression, um, they were just giving me random antidepressants, like almost like a guinea pig style. And so after that, and I read all those books and I was like, oh, depression is actually a symptom. It can be caused by a million different things. Um, that's where I was like, oh, I don't trust this system. And so, yeah, that's where when he prescribed antibiotics, which it actually was a good combination for what I had, because um, especially Rocky Mountain spotted fever. But uh, I was like, no, I'm not taking that. Did he explain? So this doctor, I believe, was Dr. Was it Schickman in San Diego? Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So Dr. Schickman, when he diagnosed you, and was it a regular blood test or was it a specialty one through like an hygienic specialty lab or something? Mm, I forgot. I could pull it up because I have all of them. Um, the, I know the Lyme one was Western blot. Uh, the Bartonella and all those, I forget the exact test they were. Okay. Um, but yeah, he ran all of them. and uh, And the other thing was, he was really cool, but it was a little mechanical. And so I was like, cool, this is what you have. Take this. And then, so it wasn't like, Hey, this is where you're at. This is what you're up against. This is why we're prescribing this and you need to take it for this, this, and this. It was just cool. Take this. And right. so I just was, I was like, eh, I don't trust no, this. no idea of how severe it can be and how, how it can really cause long-term complications. The longer you have an undiagnosed infection, none of that was discussed. No. Okay. So Ashley, you can help me out because I know I, I spent a ton of time getting to know you, TJ, in your background, which I think is super important here, but let's talk about now what you're going to do to treat. I know you said you kind of blew it off for a bit, but Ashley, can you help us go through now what TJ is going to do to treat and you know what that's like in the roller coaster of the treatment journey now that you have these diagnoses, TJ? Um, yeah, I just, I wanted to say really quickly too, when a doctor doesn't take the time to explain something about why, what's behind it, I think the patient compliance goes way down. If you yeah. actually understand the meaning of something and the reason behind it, and you have that knowledge, like, I think that's really empowering. And then you're more likely to 
to do the process and take the medication and have a better understanding. So that's unfortunate that he didn't take the time to explain anything to you. I think that's a huge misstep on his part. And that's, I'm very picky about doctors. <laughs> I don't think that's yeah. good doctoring personally. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the diagnosis, but yeah, I mean, doctors, 50% doctor, 50% salesperson, right? And they got to, they got to show you why you need to do what you need to do. Right. I mean, on one hand, it's good to have an understanding and have a diagnosis to know that you actually have something, that all these symptoms were actually related to something. But it's such a huge involved process that when we're new to Lyme, so I, I'm, I'm a nurse and I wasn't really trained a lot about Lyme disease. So when I was diagnosed, I didn't really know what it was. I didn't understand it. Nobody took the time to explain anything to me. So I feel like you know, and the Lyme community understands this. You have to become your own nurse, your own doctor. You have to do all the research. And mm -hmm. I feel like if we had people that were more involved in understanding this that and we could get treatment quicker, that would be definitely a big step in the right direction. So once you had your diagnosis and you didn't want to take the antibiotics, what did you do next? What what was the next step for your for your Lyme journey? Yeah. So I was actually doing a little one-on-one -on -one with people. Um, like I was doing coaching and stuff. And this one person I was told her, she said, Oh, I know this guy in Idaho and he goes the natural route. So I called him, he had me on like a lot of the tinctures, banderol and stuff like that. And he would try and time it based on the rash. Um, but I kept getting worse. And then finally, at one point I was like, man, do I need to take these antibiotics? And he gave me um, doxycycline, but for some reason, he only told me to take it for two weeks, which that's if you get first bit, right? And so I take it for two weeks, and then when I stopped taking it, uh, then it was I went off the deep end, and uh, that's when police showed up my house, showed up at my house, and and detained me. Um, was because I I went so down um, after I went off of it, and then I stopped seeing that doctor. So, yeah, so I, I'm I'm gonna jump in, Ashley. I'm sorry. I just have a, a question on this because we've heard this a lot. I mean, Allie Hilfiger described this in her book. We've had a lot of people talk about this on this podcast, where the mental health component, whether it was pre-existing and amplified by a Lyme diagnosis and treatment, or in some cases purely brought on by the Lyme and co-infection diagnosis where these mental health conditions lead to things such as psychosis, schizophrenia, all these conditions that get mislabeled and misdiagnosed. And I don't think people realize that that's a possibility. And and TJ, what mm -hmm. are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's what happened? Because what my initial reaction to this is you got strong antibiotic treatment. You were so infected with so many bugs, right? I mean, you had Lyme, Bartonella, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Mycoplasma, the list goes on and on and on. You're becoming toxic. The toxicity creates brain inflammation. It alters your brain chemistry. We know Lyme causes depression. We know we've proven that Lyme penetrates the brain tissue. So do you think this is sort of a an advocacy piece we need to do better with about treating Lyme and these psychological conditions get worse, that doctors should be aware of this and guiding their patients? Yeah, that's. I think that's where I actually have the most to give um, because you, know, you said, hey, is anything off limits? And that was kind of the whole point of the book was the main one of the main things that I suffered from was intense mental. Uh, I remember at one point I I was hallucinating at night, and uh, you know 
it sounds dark, but you know, the suicidal thoughts is kind of, I, I like to just say it's a, it's a symptom, right? So it's not so much, Oh, um, Oh my God, there's suicidal thoughts. You know, it's like, no, your brain is in that much pain. So it's like a check engine light, like, Hey, something's wrong. And, um, I remember in San Diego, I was like having suicidal thoughts, but I was so mentally bad. I went on the computer and I tried to research how to buy a gun in California and I couldn't figure it out because I couldn't read anymore. So I was like, Oh, I, I can't even figure this out. Uh, you know, maybe a good thing, but, uh, like I was like, yeah, I couldn't read. I remember the very day my brain started coming back online. It was amazing. But, um, back then I couldn't read. I was confused. I'd get in my car and start driving. And then I forget where I was going. Um, I'd go in my bathtub to start a detox bath and I'd lay in the, the bathtub for two hours without starting the bath. And then I'd be like, Oh shit. I, for, I forgot to turn on the bathtub. Um, yeah, it was the, and I remember in this one moment thinking I'm mentally disabled. If this is how other people feel permanently or all the time, like how are they going to survive? And, uh, it was probably the scariest thing I've ever experienced. Like the I'm brain so sorry you had to go through that. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. The brain fog was the create the, the densest, thickest fog of like, is, I mean, even now I don't, I can't remember what it was like because it's so different from this reality, but, uh, oh, it was, yeah, it was terrible. So would you say that's the lowest point? Yep. The lowest point was, the lowest point was being handcuffed. And it was funny because, so I'm not Mormon, but, um, the cop that came. So I guess that morning, um, when I had that bad thing, I, I sent a text out to people of the Coronado bridge and I sent a screenshot of it and, um, I said something like, I can't take it anymore. So they got scared. I forgot. I sent the text and I wasn't taking a detox bath and the police surrounded my house and I was so out of it. I was on speakerphone with my friend and he's like, what was that sound? You know, and I was like, Oh, it's just the police. They're here, I guess. You know, <laughs> he's like, what? I was like, yeah. And I go out and I go to talk to him and they come in and I'm sitting on the bed and my feet are purple. I don't know why. And the, the police are like, why are your feet purple? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. You know? And then, um, yeah, the policemen after they arrested, but well, I didn't get arrested. They just handcuffed me. But, um, when I was in the car, he's like, he asked me where I was from. I said, Utah. And he goes, Oh, he's like, look at my badge. And his name was Joseph Smith. So it was like a joke. Cause, um, Joseph Smith is the founder of Mormonism and, you know, I'm from Utah and, uh, so that's where I was sitting in the back of the truck and uh, handcuffed. And I was like, I just got handcuffed by Joseph Smith, man. Like, all right, you are sick. Like, cause I was in a lot of denial still, but at that point, that's when I said, all right, man, you are sick. Like you, you need help. Like this is bad. And that's when, that's when I was like, that was my lowest point was right. was right there. So I had to go to an extreme place to find acceptance, you know, the stages of grief where it's like, okay, so I, I would, I'm imagining that maybe change things for you. Maybe your thoughts on, okay, what do I need to do to get better? So what did, what did mm -hmm. you do next? How did, what was your first step? Yeah. And then just to back up a quick second, um, that's why I kept getting sick. And like, there's all these people I'm, I'm meditating and the, 
oh, use hypnosis and just think positive and you'll be healed. And I was like trying to, and I was like, that doesn't work. Um, so after that, that's where I moved back to Utah. Um, and then I just, I went on like Reddit and talked to some guy and he's like, yeah, dude, I took coartum, however you say that and this and this, and it healed up my, uh, Rocky mountain spotted fever or whatever. And so that's where I hit up a doctor and I went to him and I said, Hey, these are all, all the things I got. I don't care. I'll try anything. And, um, so it was like antibiotics, IVs, um, ozone. And I just started going hardcore on all of that. Do you remember the name of any of that stuff? Because I know you mentioned, um, well, I guess this doesn't have the exact name of it, but you had mentioned in the questions that you submitted, um, you try to stay in a parasympathetic mode. And I'm just really oh. curious about that because I, I want to know more about that. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. So parasympathetic, that's something I discovered recently. Um, so, cause back, cause right now, technically my blood work will show, I don't have Lyme or any of this stuff. Uh, hmm. well, maybe a little bit of Bartonella. Um, and so now I'm just like recovering from mast cell histamine intolerance and all the damage. Um, so there is like really the Lyme's probably not even active at all. Um, but yeah, I just learning about that because now it's all right. I did a lot of killing off the stuff. Now my body is all reactive and flaring up. And so now I got to learn how to stay calm, stay. And that's where like the business, I'm like, damn, business is killing me because of the stress. Uh, but yeah, now really, if I didn't have the business stress and if I stayed in a calm state, I would probably be a hundred percent by now, but it's just the stress and everything keeps knocking me back. Yeah, I feel like stress has a huge impact on Lyme symptoms. I feel like it makes everything worse and it creates an inflammatory state. For like for me, it makes my brain fog worse. It makes my pain worse. I end up in the hospital uh, with random, um, you know, IBS exacerbation, migraines, all the fun stuff that oh. comes with that. And it's it's and it's hard because if I had a dollar for every time I had a doctor tell me, you just need less stress in your life. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> have you been outside? <laughs> that's that's kind of hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, uh, <laughs> I was joking the other day. I was like, man, if I, if I could just go to Playa del Carmen for like three months, maybe I would, I would be, you know, I'd be good. Um, but yeah, now the business is a constant battle. Cause it was like, I got 60, sales reps and employees and all this liability and crazy stuff, uh, which is, you know, I'm, I'm like a type a workaholic kind of guy, but at the same time, I'm like, well, maybe I gotta be type a minus and be healthy instead. So I'm curious though, you, the doctor that you went to and you started um, doing treatment and you said you did antibiotics and all of that. So oh, that's yeah. kind of like the kill phase of it. Did they, Oh, I, yeah, I did anything about like your gut health. Cause you said your gut was really bad. Did they help yep. you with that before you went into all of that? Um, gut, they were, you know, probiotics and stuff, but I was going crazy too. I was, uh, probiotics. I was making my own kimchi and sauerkraut and, uh, kefir, however you, it said kefir, kefir, mm -hmm. um, yeah. from raw goat milk, um, kombucha, 
I was going hard on the gut because if I wasn't, the antibiotics just flamethrower down there, destroying everything. Right. Um, so I'm taking tons of kill and then tons of hopefully my gut stays intact. Um, I was kind of doing it simultaneously with ozone, sauna. Like I figured out how to do my own ozone. Um, I bought my own ozone generator. What and, kind of ozone were you using, TJ? Was it, did we know there's different types? Um, I, I bought a, a longevity ext 50 ozone generator and um, was it like ear nose like you know was it was it blood ozone there's so many you know there's there's rectal right there's so many different types of ozone it's a ways to administer it i should say oh yeah my bad i um i tried rectal it didn't seem as as powerful and so you know this is not something that probably should be recommended but i did div because uh to do it mah into the bag is you need someone there and so I just calculated, I was like, all right, I'm doing two ozone IVs a week, 450 bucks times two ozone generators, a thousand dollars and this and this. And so I paid someone in Germany over Skype, 50 bucks. And I was literally, I was taking a glass syringe, filling up, filling it up with ozone and then slowly injecting it directly into my vein, um, which is controversial. A lot of people say, no, it's fine. And then other people like, don't ever do that. Um, but that's what I did. So. What do you what are your thoughts on the ozone? Because mm-hmm. some people say it's it's a good detox tool. Others say that it's very much antimicrobial, where it can actually kill a lot of these infections. Where where do you land on the 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 value of ozone and specifically how it helped you, TJ? Oh, I love ozone. I don't do it now because now it's all about healing, like uh, rejuvenating the body. Um, where I guess some people would argue ozone does that as well for maybe your mitochondria or whatever. But uh, back then it was. I had to kill all that stuff off. And so for, for me, for killing off this, for the pathogens, ozone was amazing. Um, now I I don't do it. Like I don't even do sauna that much either. Like there's, it's weird. I used to sauna every single day and ozone every, you know, and now it's no ozone, no sauna, but like meditate and try and do these other things. So it's changed over time, but for killing the pathogens, ozone for me was amazing. Was there a bad, a bad Herxheimer reaction from it? Like, you know, was it was it something that you felt pretty quickly? Um, when I wouldn't do it myself or at the place, I would my brain would feel better instantly. So the brain fog would get knocked down a little notch, like instant. So it wasn't like a big Herx for me. It was more like a relief. Hmm. Ashley, what are your thoughts? Because I mean, with your, you know, Obviously, being a nurse, being a trained medical professional, Ashley, does, you know, rectal ozone, administering your own ozone, I'm sure it's something they probably are like would would scold, right, in in medical school, but yet it brought TJ such relief. And that's where I think there's such a discrepancy of what we'll call Western medicine and then what it takes, you know, for people to get better with Lyme disease, especially considering the financial constraints, right? TJ outlined so well that it was so expensive. He ran the numbers and he did it himself. You know, yeah, maybe there was some risk there. He did it carefully, but... You know, I just feel like there's two different worlds and two, two different views to this, actually. And you're kind of you're kind of in both worlds, right? So what are your thoughts on it all? So definitely. I So I have done ozone as well in, in the doctor's office. I've had my um, upper back injected with ozone. And then I've had ozone to try to treat my interstitial cystitis. I unfortunately did not have any, re- any relief from it. It didn't really help me. But maybe it wasn't the right strength. Maybe it wasn't the right dose. Um, I would say any, and you know, people do injectables at home all the time. You have home health nurses come um, and administer 
medication to various patients, um, most likely cancer patients and to the port and things like that. Sometimes they have like a, a three-day IV. But I would say, you know, the, the risk is uh, anytime you're injecting the skin, there's always a risk of infection. There's a risk of blood clot. You know, you're you're crossing the, the skin barrier that protects you from uh, microbials. So there, that's always an issue. So if somebody's not being um, clean and safe and uh, sterile, I think that would be the biggest risk as far as that goes. But I mean, I would think that you would definitely need proper training like you do with anything else. And it's like, if you get antibiotics or you get any medication from the pharmacy, what does it say on there? It has a list of side effects. And then underneath the side effects, it says your doctor prescribed this because they believe this medication outweighs the side effects. So I would say it's the same thing. So yeah. it's, it's a risk that you're willing to take for yourself. And yeah. I think as long as it's being done in a way that's safe and clean um, and uh, maybe we need better training so people can do that themselves. I mean, I think that's amazing, the relief that you got from that, because that's what we want. We don't always want to take something and feel terrible. We yeah. don't always want to hurt every time. We, we want to feel good. We want to feel better. That's the whole point. That's the whole reason that I feel like we we do a lot of this. You know, we want the good side effects. <laughs> Put that on the label. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think when you're really sick too. So it's funny. Um, sometimes I'll describe coffee enemas to people and they'll be like, what, why would you ever do that? And I said, if, if you would, if you think that's weird, you just never have been that sick. Yep. Right. Exactly. Like right now I was in the Facebook group the other day and everyone's talking about drinking their own urine. Hmm. And I was like, Oh snap. I haven't seen that before, but you know, I'm like, all right. I mean, Hey, if that's working for people, then that's, I guess that's working for people, you know? Hmm. So I guess when you're, when you're that sick, I mean, my first one I did is pretty stupid. I used duct tape for the, the catheter to stick to my arm because I didn't have a medical tape, but it was like, dude, I was, I mean, I had nothing to lose really. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's true. So TJ, you know, with the, with the mental health stuff, what was the biggest game changer in the mental health symptom relief? Cause a lot of people oh. that are suffering from Lyme have the physical and the mental as well. And I know you, you, you have shared a lot about that. Was ozone helpful in that area or was the antibiotics as you were killing a lot of things, the antibiotics think more effective or, or something else? So, yeah, this one is very fascinating, especially since I came from such a hardcore mindset thing. The main thing that helped the mental was just overall healing of Lyme. So reduction of the pathogens, the body working better. That was it. Um you know, the meditation and all that stuff and the EMDR, and I, I had to do all that. And it's very helpful, but it was, it was like 70% of it was purely Lyme treatment. Um, I remember there was a, a flavor of brain fog that I had. And after I took Coartum, I don't know if, you, if I'm saying it right, Coartum or whatever. I took that and there was a, a flavor of brain fog that went away and never came back. And then as I started getting better and better and better, I remember all of a sudden I could read again. Like before I was reading and I just saw the words, I'm like, okay, but you know how like you can read a book and your brain's firing off and the dopamine's learning all this stuff and making connections. I didn't have that. And I remember it came back and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I can read again and oh, I can problem solve again. And, all, and like all these things are coming back and then, oh, I'm driving around 
and the sunset looks good, right? That came back. And uh, it literally was from the, you know, treating the lime. Now it's more, you know, different stuff. But in the beginning, like it was, the lime was sick. I'm inflamed. My brain's not working right. My brain's broken. And it's not going to work right until it's fixed. Did you? That just gave me chills. That that way you described that. I have to tell you, that was that was very inspirational and hopeful to people listening to this that have been suffering and don't see any kind of relief. Because I think we all know, you know, the fact that you were look at a sun, you know, the the sun and be able to just smile and feel joy again, right? When you feel so empty, you know that that's a really powerful statement. Mm-hmm. And you know, you talk about quartum. So it's that that's the Babesia medication, right? It's the anti-malaria that they use for Babesia, correct? Yep. And that's just kind of people are going to ask us. I'm just going to spell it because I guarantee you we're going to get people DMing us if I don't spell it right now because I, I I had to Google it myself. It's C-O-A-R-T-E-M. And they're tablets that are, you know, anti-malarials, strong anti-malarials used for Babesia. And that's something that was a pretty strong game changer where, where after you took, what, a couple of doses of that, TJ, then your your brain fog dissipated where you can read again and then start to ask, have these feelings of like emotions come back, joy, happiness, et cetera. Um, no, no. Uh... Back back when I took that, that, the other stuff came later, but um, it was just a, my brain fog. There was like this weird flavor of it that went away and never came back. I still had brain fog. It just wasn't this it, certain. It's hard to describe, um, but it just never came back after that. And uh, uh, I actually, the doctor didn't give me it the correct way. Um, you're only supposed to, you're supposed to like pulse it a certain way. And you're not supposed to take it like too high of a dose, but I took like a high dose every day for two weeks which you're not supposed to do, but I didn't know that. But after that, you know, it just knocked, it just knocked one of the the things out. And so then it's like, cool, now I'm just progressing. So, I mean, the other stuff came later slowly. It didn't all happen from that. It's just, I just vividly remember a, a significant change from that. Yeah, I think it's important to note that this is gradual, right? I mean, this is something where little by little, as you're treating and as you're getting the bugs down, you're, you know, you're, you're killing off, a wide variety of pathogens. And as you're rebuilding your body, your mental health is improving, your brain fog is improving. And of course, everything else that you're doing is allowing you to have less physical symptoms as well. But what other physical symptoms did you have, TJ? You talked about, you know, fatigue, pain, were there any other physical symptoms you had that you can share with us? Um, There'd always be this weird pressure behind my eyes. Uh, You know, stomach upset, uh, nausea, fast, you know, I have to fast all the time. Um, I didn't get too much of the joint stuff, but my whole body, it felt like a truck while I was sleeping, ran me over, backed up and did it again. Um, and then the biggest one other than the mental stuff was the fatigue. And uh, it's really hard to describe how crushing the fatigue was, but how I like to say it is the fatigue was so bad it hurt. And, you know, I'd be, I'd lay in bed for two hours, like get up. You got to get up. You got to get up. And then finally you, you get up. It's like, you got to go to the grocery store. It's like climbing Mount Everest or something, brushing your teeth. It's like, Oh my goodness. Right. And the fatigue just made everything so difficult. And I just remember the crushing fatigue was probably the most crippling of anything. Cause like if you have energy, but you have pain, you can kind of, well, it depends on the pain. I should probably not say that, but you have some aches. It's like, you can do stuff. You have your joints hurt, but you have energy. I mean, you can still kind of do stuff, but if you're completely depleted and your mitochondria are not doing anything, I mean, that's a rough day. 
So when you had this, this I'll call it psychotic break, and I, I hope that's not an inappropriate term, but when you had this, you know, this really, this, this wall you ran into where the cops showed up at your, your place, that's when you realized the aggressive antibiotics you were given were causing you to have this real extreme reaction. Did you stop taking the antibiotics and did you pivot to another doctor? I want to, I kind of want to blend that experience yeah. with where you pivoted <laughs> to, which was the IV ozone, the, you know, the, the coffee enemas, the herbal treatment, et cetera. Yeah. So it was actually the doctor did not know how to administer the antibiotic. I don't know why he gave me doxycycline either, but I think he just went online and read Lyme treatment, doxycycline for two weeks. So I took it for two weeks. And then when I stopped is when everything came back even harder. So it was almost like everything went into hiding. I stopped the doxycycline and then it all came out even stronger. And so it just hit me so hard instantly after I stopped that I just lost it. And so um, it wasn't that I, the antibiotic gave me that problem. It was the administration of how it was done gave me the problem. Yeah. And a lot of these antibiotics, I mean, we've had researchers on this podcast share with us that they will do all these, these studies where they treat with antibiotics. They see all of these active spirochetes, all the active bacteria in your body that make you sick and symptomatic they shapeshift essentially, where they become these round balls. They look like they're just benign, right? They're, they're, the immune system thinks they're just no big deal. And then as soon as the antibiotics stop, what happens? They unravel and they form a spirochete form again and they go to town and start wreaking havoc, creating inflammation, making you sick, going into your brain, drilling away, right? So it's it's very consistent with what we're finding in these research studies, which is you have to do more than just oxy, you know, one antibiotic, right? Sometimes a cocktail of antibiotics or there's obviously alternatives as well, but you have to go after it in, in the stationary phases, in the active phases, bolster the immune system. It's a multi-pronged approach. And I think that was kind of your realization that it wasn't going to be a simple take it, doxycycline and get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, everyone's different. <clears throat> I had to, for me, I had to do antibiotics, <clears throat> but um, yeah, I remember at one point <clears throat> I was trying to get off antibiotics and I did hyperthermia and all this stuff. And uh, clarithromycin always helped me a lot. And the doctor would always try and get me off of it. <clears throat> I couldn't get off of it. And then I did hyperthermia. And then that's when I went like a really long time without having to take an antibiotic again. And so like the goal was never to, to be on the antibiotics. It was like, oh, you have to be on these right now. But eventually we got to get you off of these. Um, so yeah, I never, I never want to stay on them. But it was like it was necessary for a good while. Right. If you wanted to have any kind of life, you had to be on antibiotics. And, and I, you know, you, you do what you got to do, right? So uh, we, we totally get that. Tell, tell us about the hyperthermia. You know, where did you have the hyperthermia done? And, and I mean, obviously, it's a very scary experience. You're desperate. You want to feel better. But I mean, they're boiling you up, right? I mean, they're knocking you out. They're putting you under. They're, they're pumping you with <laughs> antibiotics. And they're raising your temperature high enough where it's kind of like boiling you over. Yeah, that hyperthermia was intense. So what happened was I stopped taking clarithromycin. And someone had told me about a hyperthermia clinic in Utah. So it's different than the Germany one. <clears throat> and I, I crashed so hard that I hit them up and I said, Hey, I'm going to see your facility this week. I'm going to come and look at it. And they said, we're, we're, we're booked. I said, no, you don't understand. I already bought my ticket. I'm flying in. I'm going to see you Friday. And they're like, uh, okay. Right. And I just like forced my way in. And then I started the treatment and it was two weeks and you're strapped to you're in the suit and you're strapped down on this bed and they fill the suit up with hot water and you're 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 trapped for an hour and you're awake they don't do the antibiotics at this one 
And so for an hour, they just raise your body temperature as much as they can. And, uh, yeah, it was, those two weeks were super rough. And then you do it at home after, so you can do it yourself. But, um, yeah, I was like on the fifth day I had to stop it early and I'm normally not that kind of guy. And, uh, yeah, I just cried. I went in the parking lot and cried. I was like, dude, what the hell are you like? You quit and all this stuff. And so, yeah, I actually had one moment. I couldn't even do the whole thing. And, uh, but, um, after that I was doing it at home and, uh, yeah, I went off antibiotics for a very long time. Um, I think it was like a year or something. I didn't have to take an antibiotic for that long. And then I like had to retake one for a little bit and then go back off. But the hyperthermia took me to the next step. Question about that. Cause I know in Germany, don't they, they make you unconscious don't, don't or they yeah. have conscious sedation. So were you conscious this whole conscious. time? Awake. <laughs> and it was weird. Like I had to tell the the nurses, cause like sometimes I'd, they'd be like freaking out or something like, Oh, and they're like saying all these stressful things while I was in there, like reading my stuff. And I had to tell them like, dude, like I'm, I can hear what you're saying. And it's scary that if you're, you know, remember I'm a person in here and yeah. I actually made them, I made a specific one. I was like, you have to be in the room with me every time I do this because I trust you. And I needed like that person in there with me. And like, yeah, I remember you just, you're just looking up at this TV on the ceiling and you start getting warm. And then after like five, eight minutes, you can't even understand what's going on in the TV anymore. And I guess like my dad tried to watch one time and he couldn't watch, watch it after that. Cause uh, like, I guess one time, like I was like shaking back and forth or something like going all weird. And so he was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to watch this again. So it was, it was rough, but uh, I'm glad I did it. Wow. That's intense. I don't know if I could handle that. So kudos to you for tolerating something that I would most definitely faint and I would leave after the first day. So, I mean, if you made it to five days, <laughs> that's pretty yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was two weeks and then you did it at, at, at your house and doing it at your house was was just as hard almost. But like one time I, I got a thermometer because one time I did it too hot and I actually burnt myself. Like I got in there and I burnt myself. So I use a thermometer to make sure like, cool, it's not going to burn me at this degree. And uh, yeah, I did. I did that at my 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 by myself for i don't know year year and a half and then i would do it randomly after that wow how did you feel when it was over like i mean it, it, the fact that you're getting i'll say confusion from it right mental mental brain fog or confusion where you can't even understand the tv show uh, were you getting such benefits as which and that's why you kept doing it for a year i mean there must have been some positives that kept you doing this torture session that, that you and ashley just described yeah no it was giving me relief um i was off antibiotics and, um, yeah, for a good, good while, it's kind of like, the, you know, doing the ozone, I would feel, I'd feel better after. Um, and so it gave a relief of symptoms and that was enough for me to keep doing it. And then now it's too, it's too intense on the body because it's a stressor. Yeah. So I don't do it anymore. Um, but definitely glad I did it. Where did you, are you comfortable sharing the facility where you did this hyperthermia? Cause we haven't heard this type um, where you get into this, like, so it sounds like you go in, like it's like a, a suit that you get into with water and it boils up. Right. Yeah. That's, that's Yeah. I have pictures of me in this suit. It's pretty, it's pretty intense, but um, I forgot the name of it. It was in Bountiful, Utah. Um, mm -hmm. I could probably find it on Google maps, but um, forgot what it was called. I could, I could find the name. 
but yeah, yeah some, if somebody uh, is interested, oh, is it Life Health and Research Center maybe? Yeah, that sounds like it actually. Let me Life Health. Let me see. Yeah, Life Health and Research Center in Bountiful, Utah. Life Health and Research Center. Let me. The see. only clinic offering whole body hyperthermia. That's, That's got to that be it, the, right? Yep, I'm looking at it. That's the one. Okay. And yeah, it was good. I mean, um, there's some things could be improved. Oh, one of my pictures is on uh, the on Google, their website on the Google Maps. <laughs> yeah, it's me. It's me after after I get out and I'm all destroyed. Oh. <laughs> but yeah no it was good um yeah i did stem cells after and the whole thing um tell us about the stem cells so you uh i know from your your our offline chat and your pre-interview questionnaire you went to tijuana for stem cells right so again you're kind of i feel like you're being resourceful <laughs> trying to manage your budget but also optimize you know your your treatment modalities and get the most effective yeah. treatment possible yeah, that was, was kind of like um, why the book is Walk the Line because, yeah, I had to walk that fine line of you got to make money, but you can't stress yourself out making money because it'll hurt you, but you got to treat yourself, but you need the money. So it's like you're, I got life responsibility, but I'm trying to, so it's a constant battle. But uh, Tijuana, I went there because stem cells are cheaper. Um, it was really good at the time. I actually don't know if I recommend it anymore because um, they've changed dramatically. Um, but yeah, for, for a good while, I'd go there. I, they, when I first went there, they denied me because I was too sick. I said, this won't do anything. You have too much Lyme. Um, but then as I got better, I went quite frequently, like once every three, four months. And it would, I'd feel good for a few weeks and a lot less inflammation and everything. Maybe I did too many of the stem cells though. Um, but it helped me for a while. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily do it right now though. So there's some, I'm sensing there's some caution being provided here and want to ask a little more about it. Right. So you said they changed. So if you can just tell us a little more what you mean about how they've changed since you went and also why you think you did a little too much. Is there such a thing as too much stem cells Um, and and what kind of effect does that have? So uh, there's different, I forget how they're calling it. There's different phases of how old the stem cells are. And at first, like it was very family feeling. Uh, you see a doctor, they talk to you, they do all this stuff. But then it got to the point where it's like, cool, you want some stem cells? Come in, wham, bam, see you later. And um, so maybe it's not as, you know. And so if you you can get mast cell, you can flare up, you can cause others problems if you don't, if you get bad stem cells. Uh, there was one which was recommended by a clinic and I was going to get stem cells at this place. And then I researched it and I guess their supplier had a bad batch before. And so, yeah, stem cells, I mean, you got, definitely don't want to just inject anything in there. Um, so that's where now I'm like, I don't know if I go there again. I like going there though. It's fun going to Tijuana and you know, it's a good time. Like, yeah, I'm in a different country getting, <laughs> getting treated nice. And, uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I did a lot of it, but it's not, Stem cells, I would say, don't just randomly do. You got to make sure you're getting it done right. And when you say the the histamines and stuff, I, we've had a lot of people say, we've had some people have transformational stories with stem cells and other people say, hey, look, I I had issues with histamines. I went and got stem cells and I felt so much worse for about a year, right? So we've, we've heard both sides of the spectrum. And I think that the general consensus is with our Lyme loader doctor we've had on is if you have issues with histamines and you have this inflammation, you know, predisposition, 
the stem cells will create more inflammation for quite a while while they're repairing your body. And that could actually make you feel worse, right? So I think there's that, yeah. that threshold. You have to make a, a self-analysis of, will this potentially be a higher risk for me based on how I am in my own health, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So what what else have you done? I mean, is there anything, I mean, is there Ooh. anything left, right? Man, I, hyperthermia, stem cells, ozone, uh, UVIV. Um, it's UVIV. That's, that's uh, essentially like light therapy where the yeah. light goes through your blood, right? Yeah, you can see it like in your arm too. It's kind of cool. Like I had a picture where you could see the light in there and they just keep it in there while your blood flows for a while and it's supposed to kill off stuff. Um, coffee enemas, um, uh, psychedelics. Oh, let's uh, talk about psychedelics. <laughs> I, I uh, Rich would kill me if I didn't ask more about this. Rich is fascinated with, with psilocybin and, and psychedelics and all kinds, you know. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, disagreement I'll say, or, or debate about psychedelics in the chronic Lyme community, but also in, in, you know, we'll call it the Western medicine community. So Rich is a huge advocate of, of psychedelics that so they're actually going to help you. You know, Ashley was asking earlier about your nervous system, right? Your parasympathetic nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system. These studies are showing that psychedelics can be used to help people, not only in the, in the chronic Lyme community, but people that are, that are drug addicts, you know, lifelong, you know, mm -hmm. heroin users, their brain scans are showing their brains are significantly different than what a healthy brain should be. They're using psychedelics and their and their brain pathways are being reset to what we consider normal after psychedelics, right? And there's a lot of these studies happening with Lyme too. So, you know, do you know anything about these studies? And if not, you know, what was your experience like using psychedelics and which ones specifically did you use? Yeah, I, I, I tried to sign up for a DMT study actually. Um, so now I've pretty much done them all. And uh, what's Lately, what has helped me a lot was combining breath work with the psychedelic and uh, like the breath work alone helps and the psychedelic alone helps. But for some reason, when I combine the two, it's like a, it's a very healing, relaxing thing. And, um, so for me, it's like my body has all this trauma, the histamine, it's reacting to everything, but the psychedelics calm that down. And, um, so like, yeah, like DMT and all that, that's kind of like my favorite one, but here's what was interesting. So I, I was talking to this guy, um, I think it's, it's Mark Wallen. He wrote, um, it didn't start with you, I believe, cause I did a family constellation therapy cause your family systems affects your body. And I was telling him it was interesting because if I go, if I went and played basketball right now, I would feel like crap, um, uh, like tomorrow for three days, right. It would, it flare me up and I'd feel bad. But one time I took LSD and me and my friend wanted to play basketball. I said, whatever, I don't care. And I played basketball and it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt me. I was fine the next day and three days after. So I was, I exercised and I was like, what is that? Right. That's weird. And so it's like, you know, it put me in that different state where my body was in a more parasympathetic healing state to where my body was fine. And so that's why right now, because of I have this histamine intolerance and all this stuff, like really, if I keep my body in that calm, safe state, then I, I, I believe I would get to the finish line. Because like right now, my brain's sharp. Uh, I, I can function really at a high level but I still, there's still some problems and I can't exercise and I still can't do certain things. 
But I think if I could get myself in that calm state at where I'm at right now and stay there like almost all of the time, it probably be like a couple months and I'd be able to exercise again is what I think um, just because of that. So that's why I'm fascinated by it. Um, you know, it's like the Lyme, the trauma, your brain, it's so used to reacting a certain way, but you go take some mushrooms and now your brain's in a different state and it's going to be acting in a different manner. And then you can form those new, new pathways while you're there. And so I think, I, I mean, this stuff should all be legalized in my opinion. Um, but I could go on and on about this stuff for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. I think we're gonna have to talk more about this if you're interested in a follow-up because there's the whole world here that I think can be explored and bring a lot of relief to people. And I always, you know, Rich is very, Richard and you would, would, would completely agree on this. And I'm always, I don't know enough about the science and I'm always worried. I said, we have to be careful because we need to know what the risks are and to do it properly because you can't just go say, I'm going to go take some mushrooms. I'm going to take some LSD, LSD, right? You have to do your homework, you know, and do it the right way. So you're not going to cause problems. And, you know, you hear oh, some, yeah. you hear some horror stories of people who are trying psychedelics and they say it alters their behavior or their mood or their personality and it's like a permanent switch gets flipped on them, right? So there's those risks that make me anxious. But I think, you know, we know Johns Hopkins is doing studies in psychedelics and there's value there. So I think as we start to understand better how these psychedelics impact the brain, we'll be able to develop a safer way to administer them. But a lot of people like yourself, TJ, are are learning from the research that's currently available and having great success. So I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and I, I think too, it's not so much like, maybe some people think they got to go take some big thing of LSD and see all this wild stuff, right? You can take a small, like a, you could do a, a, like a small amount of mushrooms or whatever, like a microdose, and then go in nature and meditate or do some breath work and journal or heal a relationship or whatever. Like that's, that's more like, so when I'm using it, I'm kind of meditating, have an intention and it will tell me something or, or I mean, I'll learn, I mean, you can, whatever, it's telling me something or my brain, right? right. And then you implement it in your life, right? And so it's not like I'm going out taking these huge doses. I'm taking like a small medium dose and rewiring and doing some work and then using that in my life. So it's not like, a, let me just take this huge dose, sit on my couch and hopefully this changes me. It's, it's, it is more pieces to it it's not just taking it and, and letting it go there's a lot you're doing and you're experimenting with as well you said like right the breath work and the psychedelics are beneficial and you know you have to really be open to it and i think that's that i think there's going to be a lot here in the future and i hope we continue to put more research money behind it and it's promising to see that some universities are researching this so yeah and anything else tj that we haven't talked about that's been helpful in your healing journey from a treatment standpoint oh man i have so i yeah, i am one of those people that it's probably a little too much on the um, aggressive side with treatments because I've I've done a lot. Uh, Calden protocol, um, herbs, antibiotics, uh, different diets. I tried carnivore. Um, car okay, two quick questions. That Calden protocol, uh, indifferent or was it helpful or or not really sure? Helpful. Uh, couldn't have done it by itself though. So I still needed antibiotics with it, but it definitely helped because there is um, one, it was called Kumanda by Nutramedics. Yep. And I would immediately feel a difference when I took that one, like the Bartonella 
uh, like it was like, oh, I take it. And I was like, oh, this is working. And so, yeah, there's definitely helped. Um, but could they have done it by themselves? I don't think so. Well, I, actually, I tried it by themselves and it didn't work. So, yeah. And I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You, you, you were listening out to some others and I, I, I apologize. Oh, um, yeah. Carnivore. I oh, the carnivore. Yeah, I forgot. I throw a brain um, frog. Was carnivore effective? We had somebody come on and, and he said uh, that actually him and his wife, they both had Lyme. He said that when he cut over to the carnivore diet, he was, you know, to me, the magic bullet always scares me, right? He said the carnivore diet was the game changer. He was cured. That's the cute. That's the answer to Lyme. But I mean, for him, he he genuinely believed it and maybe it was effective for him. But how was your take on the carnivore diet change for for Lyme? Uh, didn't work for me. Um, back in the day when I was living in Utah again, I did keto, which I did it for a month, month and a half. And it knocked a layer of brain fog away and that never came back. But then I just started eating low carb after that. So keto helped, uh, low carb helps. I tried carnivore cause they're trying, why is your stomach, uh, uh, you know, reacting to so many things right now. And I tried carnivore, couldn't do it. Uh, I was just straight up crazy diarrhea every day. I was feeling worse. And then after four or five days, I said, all right, if it's not helping me, it's probably hurting me. I've given it four or five days uh, and then I'm worse. So I stopped. Um, but I know some people that swear by it. So for me, wasn't what was needed, but for others, maybe. And it's hard It's hard to eat that much meat. Like as much as a, you know, a ribeye, how good it tastes. I mean, you it's a lot of a lot of chewing, a lot of steak. Like it was, it was kind of hard to eat like that. But um, I mean, if it would have helped me though, I would have kept going. But it just wasn't. It wasn't the thing that I needed. That and that's like we were talking about earlier. The hard thing with Lyme is this person's solution is going to be way different than this person's solution. There's going to be some similarities, maybe, but it's just one. It's so different. Like every person's got such a unique situation. It's like how do you, you know effectively help everybody yeah tj we we call our podcast the lime quilt podcast right because you're right what helps me may be different than what helps you may be different than what helps ashley and what we like to provide is everybody's experiences which is the quilt right your story my story ashley's story collectively you know going on 400 different individual stories in the lime experience people can listen and pick and choose and try to, to learn what's going to work for them because it's going to be different, right? But when you run out of options or you want to have somebody to talk to you about what options are out there and what their experiences were, that's where your experience and what you're sharing is going to be so valuable to the community to hand listening to this podcast, right? So uh, as much as I agree, I also think there's so much value in what you're sharing here for everybody listening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I guess um, for me, when I was thinking, oh, how do I help as many people as possible? It's like, all right, I guess I can, you know, share my story, share what worked for me. If some of those pieces help someone put their puzzle together, then awesome. Ashley, do you have any questions? I, I want to talk about Walk the Line, but I don't. I just want to make sure that I'm not, you know, going too far ahead. If you have any questions, anything we talked about so far. Um, I am curious about the, you said that you wrote a book. So I want to know where oh. we get it how do we access it i um i am excited to read it so what's the best place to find it um you can go on amazon uh walkthelime.com i guess is probably the easiest way just to find it real quick so walkthelime.com and it's basically a website with a link to amazon there's some other stuff i wrote on there like poems and stuff but um i forgot i also tried bee venom therapy oh really so that was another wild one where I shipped in bees and had them sting me. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. There's so many things I've done that. Well, t- tell us a little more about that, TJ, before the book, right? Because the that's yeah. something we hear about a lot, and we've had we've had <laughs> people on from the leading B venom therapy community, and you know, people that it's it's again been transformational in their personal experience, and others who have not had success. So how how was it for you? And first of all, how do you, you know? Yeah. I guess you guess you'll do anything if you if you're that sick. But I mean, stinging yourself is seems like such an unpleasant experience, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like. It's weird because I've done peptides and all sorts of stuff and it helped me for a while and then stopped working. And it was kind of the same thing with the bees. Uh, but my only problem was I couldn't get more than, you're supposed to do 10 stings at a time. And I could only, I couldn't get past two. And once I started doing three, I'd get like neural weird stuff going on. So it would help me feel better with my symptoms but it would give me other symptoms when I would try to actually get to their effective dose. And so I tried it for a while and I was like, I don't know if this is really helping me. And then when I tried to ship in more bees, since Las Vegas is so hot, they would die in the mail. And so I was like, ah, I'll just, I'll just stop doing it. And so, um, it definitely, that was the one that gave the most, you know, regular person, you know, the intrigue factor, like what? I'm like, Hey, you want to sting me with a bee? And they're like, what's the, you know, what's going on? Um, but, and it, it actually felt good when I was doing it, but, um, I, it was giving me weird neural issues hmm. when I try to do, uh, go more than three, more than two bees at a time. Tell us about the peptides. What kind of peptides do you take? We've heard about BPC 157. There's a whole bunch of others. That's the one we hear about the most. Uh, do you recall yeah. what type of peptides you use and which ones were effective? Yeah, so I took this is two years ago, um, thymosin alpha, thymosin beta, it's like beta four, or whatever. Um, and then it what was L LP thirty seven or whatever, and BBC one fifty seven, and then there was like some sleep one. The thymosin ones were supposed to help transition the immune system to be better at intracellular. So and see the lime, you know, hides in there. And then the BPC 157 was supposed to heal my stomach. Started working so good at first. I was like, oh, I'm healed. And that lasted like a month and a half, two months. And then I felt sick again. Um, the BPC 157 was good. And actually at this point, I'm going to meet with a doctor next month named Dr. Seeds in uh, LA. And I'm going to explore peptides again. But with him, I'm going to tell him, hey, what are the best peptides for healing the stomach and for keeping the body in a calm state? And I'm going to play around with that and uh, see, cause if I can keep my body in that parasympathetic, then I can probably heal. So I'm going to, I'm going to try it again, but before yeah, the thymosin alpha and beta, it, it made a huge in, impact like right away two months. I thought, Oh, this is it. I am, I'm healed from Lyme. And then I got sick again. So yeah, we, we had Jeremy Foster was on our podcast about a year and a half ago, and he had a very positive experience with peptides as well for stomach issues, inflammation, pain, nervous yeah. system. And we've had a lot of doctors on recently, too, who discussed the benefits of peptides, and they're really relatively relatively low risk, too. So I think that's a nice a nice factor about them. But, you know, I, I want to come back to Ashley's question, and I apologize, apologize yeah. Ashley. I know I totally went back from the book, right? But Walk the Lime is the name of your book. It's walkthelime.com. Uh, the subtitles from knocking on death's door to building a multi-million dollar business, right? So I- I'm guessing you wrote this book based on your 
personal life experience of Lyme disease and having to work and fund your treatment. And this is sort of a guide for others. You know, give us an idea of what's in this book and yeah. what people will get if they buy it and read it. So why I wrote it was at one point I got COVID when it first came out. And I was like, oh, if I was to die right now, what would I regret doing? And I was like, oh, I should have wrote the book because everyone told me to write a book. And really the only goal with it, like I'll never make my money back on it, um, was just to give validation and hope to someone with Lyme. And so when I was in that super dark time in San Diego and being handcuffed and stuff, uh, I just felt so alone with the intensity of what I was experiencing that I wanted to be very honest about my journey so that when someone reads it, they feel heard and they're not alone. And then here's also what I did and was able to achieve. So they're like, oh, if I keep going and I keep trying things and I keep, you know, because I tried a lot of stuff then I can also improve, right? Because I couldn't work for a year and a half and now I have 60 sales reps and employees, right? I'm not 100% healthy, but I'm definitely operating at a different level, you know? And so uh, that was the whole goal. And, you know, it was risky writing it. You know, there was a moment where I was like, uh, do I really want to have all my family and friends and everyone that knows me read this? So I was like, you only live once and, you know, publish. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't hold back It's you know, this is what I was thinking. These are the thoughts I was having, and this is what I actually went through. So what now, what do you, you're, you're working at, I think you're still in the solar business, right? And I mean, that, that's what you're currently, what you're currently doing today. Yep. Got back into solar. Um, cause I was sort of running out of money in Utah cause I was selling stuff off eBay and stuff and, uh, started selling solar again and then wanted to do my own thing to kind of be better in the industry and um yeah right now we made a big transition probably one of the most stressful things i've ever experienced and um so that's where you know i have those conflicting feelings of all right the stress is is kind of intense but um i'm just kind of a, a driven person i can't really stop my brain from wanting to do that and so yeah the sales company i mean the solar company it's you know, I would bring people in, use it as, so they can use it as a vehicle to change their life and, you know, give, give homes protection from electricity bills. But uh, yeah, it takes up pretty much almost all my time. Looking ahead, in addition to exploring other peptides, what are your other plans to continue working on your health, right? Because I think now we yeah. realize that <clears throat> even once we hit our goal, we want to continue to maintain our health. So you have, you want to, you know, your next goal is to be able to, Hey, I don't want to be I, I want to be able to exercise and not have to experience pain after going out and playing basketball, right? Those That's kind of your goal now. Mm -hmm. So what are your next steps to get there, if any, beyond the peptides? And then what, is, what do you see being a maintenance plan for you to keep your health in a good place while you're growing your business and inner, you know, you're going to have stressors in life. It's, it's just a, a reality, right? So what is your plan moving forward? Yeah. So as of right now, um, main focus is parasympathetic. So there's this thing called M wave by heart math. Um, using that some neural feedback. Uh, I am now meditating 20 minutes twice a day and I just joined a yoga thing. So I, I want to do MMA and lift weights, but I'm like, all right, you can't do that yet. And so, uh, but the relaxing yoga, when I leave, it's a huge difference. So uh, all I'm doing is relaxing yoga, like the most relaxing one they have. I'm going to do that two or three times a week. 
um, continue working with this doctor in, in Calgary. Uh, and if I keep my body parasympathetic, if I heal the stomach, I think there might be some SIBO stuff going on. So if I get the stomach under control, keep the body in a healing state. And then once I can work out again, that'll be my marker. Um, and with the business, um, start to step away, delegate more. And then really it's, can I, can I exercise again? Um, keep the histamine stuff at bay. And then with the business, um, can I get it to where I'm mostly working on growing it and not so much doing all the tasks and, uh, really, uh, the bigger goal is how I can give back using all of that as a platform, give back to people with medical stuff. And I even thought about, you know, Hey, what if I, what if we all went into nature and did breath work and like talk to each other about what we're going through. And it'd be cool if we could use psychedelics too, but you know, it's not legal yet. Um, the combination would be even better, but yeah, even stuff like that, like even tonight, people are coming over to my house tonight and we're doing a breath work session, like for an hour. And uh, we're all just going to like do it and talk about stuff going on. Cause like when you change your state, now you're open and the walls are down and then you can actually heal. And so um, I'm exploring avenues for that as well. And so really it's be able to exercise again. And then how can I give an, a bigger impact? How can I impact and help people in the best way from where I'm coming from for people to receive? And that's where I'm at. TJ, if somebody wants to touch base with you or follow you on social media, what's the best point of contact in addition to your website for your book that you just described earlier? Are you on social? Do you have handles? Do you have a personal website? Um, so I think my Facebook, yeah, Facebook.com slash Taylor James TJ. Um, that's the that's another good way. They can email me through the walk the line as well. Um, Instagram, I'm on there as Taylor James TJ, but I never check my messages on there. Uh, I'm on tick. I don't. I, I'm on TikTok, but I don't go on TikTok. So someone posts my stuff for me because I don't want to be on TikTok and I don't want to be on Instagram like doing the death scroll. So yeah, walkthelime.com. Um, email email me there or my Facebook is the best. Ashley, do you have any questions before we conclude this really powerful and inspirational interview? I think I just want to say to TJ that I find you so inspiring and like I get teary eyed hearing you talk. I can hear the hope in your voice and this huge progress that you've made and all of the things that you're working on. And I think it's so amazing. The breath work, mental health, the parasympathetic, like healing your gut. Like I can relate to so many things you're saying, like you inspire me and you give me hope and I imagine that you're doing that to all the people listening so I just I want to say thank you so much oh wow yeah no this this podcast was awesome it was like one of the coolest most prepared ones I've ever seen so it's been good being on here well TJ we are so happy to have found you and met you and now have you be a part of our Tick Boot Camp family along with Ashley and everybody else so Thank you, thank you, thank you. For me, this has been such a powerful, educational, inspirational, hopeful, hope-filled interview. So thank you, TJ. And we really can't wait. We can't wait to have some follow-ups with you. I know our listeners are going to want to hear more about psychedelics and a ton of other topics. So this is not the end of TJ if he's willing yeah. to come back and have some more deep dive discussions with us. Oh, yeah. We can riff on psychedelics any day.